0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: Climbers, your record is mixed and mastered. Congratulations. You've completed 5% of the project checklist. 95% is marketing. But what's the most effective marketing strategy? Is it radio, PR, playlisting? Today we're going to unpack an amazing Bob Lefsitz blog that answers these questions, and we're going to throw some practical, effective solutions at you as well. Welcome to the gang! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and And indie artists like you create leverage in the music business that is the name of the game that is the currency you're trading it's not talent you don't trade in talent you think you do but you don't what you need to trade in is leverage and that means you've got some successes behind you. You've proved that, number one, you can do the job well. Number two, that you want to do it. Hmm. There's a difference between somebody who can write really good songs and record really good songs and who's an artist. Yep. <laughs> and it is, uh, it's what's going to move the needle. When you have the leverage, the labels, the management, the booking agents, everybody you want to work with is going to come out of the woodwork and line up nicely for you, and that's the way that you want to handle it. That's why we called it The Climb, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. See what we did there? It was a setup. Mm -hmm. It was like a... And that's a Baxter, from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. He's had a slew of top 10 slash number one hits in Southern Gospel, Australian Radio, Man's Making Miracles Happen. And what I love about him is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, he gets you connected with the pros. And this is real. This is Relationships are created out of this. If you're truly ready and you play the game right, you're going to get some relationships. There are single song contracts that have happened. There are publishing relationships that have happened, co-writes that have happened, all kinds of beautiful forward progress. And you can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com.
0: And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Duennel. Johnny owns Daredevil Production there. Breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but thankfully Johnny knows what all the 25-cent words mean. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV and music industry pros, Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. So, hey, man, what's happening? Man, just living life. Life is crazy. Life is an adventure, which we'll get into offline, but it is good. It is good. Hey, I have a release out today, which by the time that this drops will be a couple, I don't know, two weeks back. But The Foresters, which is Southern Gospel Group, Uh they put out a praise record, a worship album. And so a song of mine called God Amazing is on that one. I wrote with Jay Spate and Brian hit. It's also been recorded by Charles Billingsley. So it's been out there. It's uh, from my old peer music and RPM music deals. So it's nice to see some old songs getting some new life and hopefully that'll do well. And yeehaw! Nice.
1: Congratulations, brother. I love that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's always fun to have a release out there. Found out about another cut, another Southern gospel thing, got a license, didn't know this group, didn't know it was pitched, but I'm like, okay, well I will hook you up with Blue Water. So that's fun. Hey,
1: thank you for helping, thank you for helping Mackenzie with her licensing stuff too, and kind of pointing them in the right direction.
0: I am happy to help them pay me. I'm hey, happy right. Here, to help them pay it. me. I'm such a giver, such Here. a giver. <laughs> you agenda and having son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, everybody wins. Everybody, everybody wins. Oh I don't encourage them to be lawbreakers. They license it. They're doing it correctly, and and then everybody's happy.
1: That's right. It's not my bag. I mean, God, put me in a licensing department and just give me a gun and a bullet. Like I just, I had, I had fuck.
0: that. I used to work on that for a hot minute at Blue Water before they worked for me, I worked for them. Yeah. And oh man, I think we might've talked about that a little bit on the podcast we just did with Randy Barber. Yeah. But I know just enough to know I don't ever want to be in charge of that for myself uh-huh. or anyone else. Like even though I, I got paid to do that for a hot minute, it was, whoo, that's a lot of stuff. And I'm like, just let me rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just do yeah. that. That's more my sweet spot.
1: I, I don't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Like, if you want to just, you know, my my personal version of hell mm-hmm. is like, welcome to hell, Johnny. Sit down here. We've got like fifty five thousand years of contracts we want you to look over. Yeah. and pay attention to the details. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> right.
0: Or I mean, just imagine this: if you're in the admin department of a publishing company that has a lot of writers, you got to get them to turn their stuff in. Yeah. We have like co-writers and maybe co-writer information, dates of creation. Yeah. Good luck with that.
1: Well, speaking of that, okay, I'm not going to reveal anything right now, but we, Ray Hamilton and I are getting very close to launching this new software tool hmm. that everybody is going to cream over. Like, I mean, everybody, right? We've already reached out to a couple of music supervisor friends and publisher friends, mm-hmm. and we've offered them like lifetime membership to the software tool for beta testing yeah and when i explain what it is they're like oh yes i would uh uh-huh yeah so like you get lifetime membership for trying it out but also we want a, a testimony a video testimony from you explaining like why this tool is so exciting to you for what you do and that's for songwriters for publishers for music supervisors it's wild, and I can't wait to share it with everybody. And
0: that is awesome. Huh? Yeah,
1: I know what you're talking about.
0: I've talked to Ray about it, and it is exciting. Yeah,
1: it's cool. And wh- well, what's I mean, what I you know, we we might have even touched on it before in the podcast, but finally, we're getting to the point where we're reaching out to people and we're saying, "Hey, we've got this tool. We wondered if you'd be willing to try it out, mm-hmm. and in return, we'll give you you know the lifetime membership and we want a testimony if you like it. But here's what it does, and people are like. And I'll ask them a couple of questions. You know, like, has this happened to you or this happened to you? And they're like, uh, yeah, like every day. Yeah. I'm forced to do this and this and this because this tool doesn't exist. So it's really, I'm pretty stoked about it, man. Like, I can't wait to, we're getting close. We're getting close. So, hey, today we are going to get into another Bob Lefsitz blog that, I had read and actually saved on my phone forever and forgot about it. It came out, I think, in November of 2022. <laughs> but and then I'm like cleaning off crap on my phone. I'm like, holy crap! Why didn't I touch on this? So, if you don't know who Bob Lesitz is, he is a like probably the number maybe the number one music industry blog mm-hmm. for I mean artists. It's very inside. It's not this isn't a consumer blog. This is like an inside the industry blog. And so artists, producers, engineers, the label execs, they all get this blog and he's really, really, really good in music analysis. And I just think he said, there's so many lessons in this one blog that he wrote. We're going to read through it and kind of unpack it. Okay. And it's all about your core audience and how important that is now and also i mean not for nothing when i read it of course it is very validating and reflective of everything we constantly preach in this podcast so i'm like there you go. Put that in your pocket <laughs> and smoke it. Left set yeah. says yes, too. But before we do that, let's take care of a little business. Join the Climb community on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Climb community, or you can just search for that. And you have to ask to be let in. We let everybody in. I say that, by the way. And there's one guy I haven't let in for like a month now. <laughs> I think it's a bot because it, like it's like this it's an older guy he's not very much older but he's you know he's not a kid yeah and his facebook account's been open for 2 weeks yeah so sketch i don't know You're like eh, i don't know yeah yeah So I guess I got to reach out to him and just message him and find out if he's for real or not. Because sometimes you can't see all their posts, like depending on how they set up their stuff. So it's hard for me to tell. I don't want to keep them out, but I don't want to let any bots in either.
0: Yeah, we don't like the bots.
1: I'm just, we're protective of it. We're protective of it. But anyway, just be good boys and girls. The feed is for everybody. So don't put stuff about you or your company or anything like that. But stuff that's universal, man. It could be funny. It can be educational. I, I will post crazy music things that I find, just put it in there for people to be like, wow, it's cool. You know, mm. definitely articles that I find Did you see the, the latest, uh, uh Taylor, Taylor Swift? Swift?
0: Yeah. Is, is this I saw that. I saw the headline that her, her re-records are just slaying it. And I meant to tag you when I saw it. And I was like, Oh, Johnny will be happy about this." Oh, I was all over it. I read it. And, and it's really, I, I think we might do
1: maybe another episode on that. Maybe not. I'm not sure if it's worthy of it, but it's like, What's fascinating is, like, right now, both sides are winning. Hmm. Okay, so year over year, the six records that are now, those masters that are now owned by Shamrock Capital, which is like a basically a hedge fund that bought it off of Scooter Braun, right? Mm -hmm. And made him $45 million, by the way. And he turned that over about a year. That dude is smart. (laughs) That's a
0: good payday. (laughs) Yeah, that's not bad.
1: Prior to today, she's released two of her six records that those masters were bought and sold on and they've done a significant dent in like year over year so 2022 was the first like full calendar year that both records were out her Mm -hmm. the first three records she did which i think was fearless and then one was red Mm -hmm. so the first full calendar year that they're out so then you can judge like a full calendar year of traffic on one versus the other She's, I mean, she's crushing, right? Like, like her. Uh, I, th- I think it's on the red album. The 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 original master traffic is down like forty one percent from last year. Oh wow! And the original master traffic on Speak Now or not Speak Now um, on Feel Red, yeah, are, is down like seventeen percent right now. Mm. As a whole, the original master tracks the traffic on that grew, mm. but. Here's the thing. It's like, just so you guys, I want you to know this information so you can interpret the headlines when you read the stuff and you know what you're looking at. The last year's traffic for all of Taylor Swift's original master traffic, 30% of that traffic was from one record from 1989. Oh, wow. And I'm not sure what the gross cumulative is, but the two most popular are 1989 and Reputation that get I'm guessing like 50 to 60% of all the tailors of traffic. Mm -hmm. So she's done this incredible dent, but she hasn't re-recorded. She's releasing Speak Now today. Today's July 7th. This will drop later. But as a whole, her master traffic for Shamrock Capital has grown and they should be very happy. But she hasn't gotten, she's releasing the third record now, but still not the ones that can just really be devastating. So it'll be interesting to see what she does yeah. with Reputation and 1989, which also are, by the way, her pop records. Yeah. And somebody else pointed out to me yesterday, I can't remember who it was, probably a little easier to re-record those because it's synth. Yeah. And not like guitar sounds and not that sort of Stuff she was doing before, so that's interesting. But mm-hmm. anyway, we got any wins? Let's talk about wins. Sorry, we're dragging the song.
0: Yeah, so every Thursday sorry, every Wednesday we have the New Heights Post, which is where we encourage you to share your wins, your music related wins with us so that we can celebrate with you. So we're just going to share a few of these because we don't have time for all of them because there's just too much winning. All right, Bill O'Hanlon with who we got to hang out with the other night in Nashville. It's good to see Bill. Man, it was good to see him. Yeah, it was good. And all the climbers. Like we had a whole we Holding court, I will. it was fun, it was great, it was super fun, yep. So, <laughs> speaking of which, I told Bill, you know, it was co writer Greg Wilson, I think, played this song that they wrote called Wake Up Call, which is just powerful. Yes, and at the end of it, I looked at Bill, I'm like, dude, you're gonna make me foster like a child, and sure enough, we are, yeah. So, anyway, thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Johnny, I'm Bill. Sending, other send
1: now I got that song from him, I'm gonna send it to Josh. That's it's a good song, man. That's Good freaking song, yeah.
0: Yep. So, anyway, Bill said, wrote with four up-and-coming artists this past week, and several of them are going to use a song we wrote in their next project. So, good job, Bill. Plus, got to hang out with Johnny Brent at The Local. Yes, you did. And that's a win for us, too. Oh, he said that, right? On. Oh, it's just sweet. Isn't that nice? I love it. And Kathy Wallace, who we also got to hang out with at The Local, yes. said, spent three days at a songwriting retreat and loved every minute the song, great songs were born. I think that retreat was right after we... Hung out with her. She she yeah. was she was on her way the that. next day, I believe. Yes. Way to go, So good to hang with you. Yes, it was so good. And Tracy Richardson, who we also got to hang out with, yeah. says, "Great trip to Nashville. Played three rounds on my Nashville tour. Got to hang out with Kathy Wallace, Elizabeth Eckert, Brent, and Johnny at the local. Lots of music and connections packed into a few days." So. Man, that's just a few of them. So that was fun. It was so great to see so many climbers out and out and about and listen to music and chat about stuff. When the
1: Bird came out, dude, like I... I have a bromance with that dude, like, Dustin, Bird, Dustin Yeah, Bird, dude. he is like right from the mother
0: ship. Yeah, you guys are going to get along great. So Dustin Bird, like yeah, a mischievous streak in him, that he,
1: I'm just like, come on, right over here. You're in this car. Oh,
0: yes, yeah, yeah. You're gonna get along <laughs> fine. So Dustin's a, an artist on Open Road Recordings in Canada. He just moved down to Nashville. He's cut stuff of mine. We're co writers, and so I was like, you need to come out to the local. You need to meet Johnny. And he's a friend of the podcast. He's been on the podcast. He's been on the podcast on a. On a song title challenge, I believe, and yeah. Yeah. So good times. Mm-hmm. And maybe a video content challenge. And maybe so.
1: Maybe so. I, I, I can't remember if that's true or not, but anyway, all right, well, let's get into this, you guys. Yes, let's do it. But once again, credit where credit is due. This is from Bob Lefsitz, L-E-F-S-E-T-Z, and if you go to Lefsitz.com, you can see The blog there. He also has like an incredible podcast that we've often used for content on this show. And I've learned so much from that podcast. I mean, these are the big, big wigs in the industry, and you just learn how stuff really happened. And Bob does Bob does really good interviews, I think. So that's good. So let's go. I'm just gonna read through this blog and we're kind of gonna break it down section by section, but this is the gospel in terms of really getting ahead as an artist, okay? Mm-hmm. it's all He says, it's titled The Core. He says, it's all about your core. I know you've heard this a zillion times, all this stuff about a thousand true fans, or we call them super fans, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm talking about here, he says. Sure, first and foremost, you need a fan base. But once you have one, ignore the external. It's a waste of time. Mm. I know you're sitting at home wondering how you can be bigger, how your act can break. Maybe you hire a big PR agent. Maybe you spam writers. Maybe you hire an independent radio promo person. The key is to spread the word. No, I'm not saying radio airplay is worthless, but how many people are still listening to terrestrial radio? Only the most passive and laid back, not the people who work at the station, they're still passionate, but the old days of the, the active radio listener are history. So, I mean, gosh, you guys, just let's unpack that for a second, mm-hmm. because I was talking with my staff today and we were just sort of discussing like industry perspectives. And, and I'm like, you know, when I'm talking to like bigger industry people, I have to be careful what I say and how I serve it up, because I want to echo what. Bob Lesnitz is saying on here, like, I don't think that radio airplay is worthless by any stretch. But I don't think it is the launching pad. I know that it's not the launching pad that it used to be. And so therefore, when you bring in radio matters, right? So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very worth it to some artists, and it's worthless to new artists trying to break through on it, even if you're on a record label. It just shortens... Your runway because it's so expensive. Mm -hmm, And because I was curious about this through another one of my corporate clients here, who's thinking about considering very seriously doing some talk radio promotion for his business. And he was asking me because I had had a radio show in the mortgage industry, just bouncing ideas off of me and asked me what I thought. And so doing some research for my answers, I had one of my staff people just kind of, we actually AI'd all these articles on radio consumption Mm -hmm. and it's funny here's what i discovered all the articles on radio consumption it's like reading any kind of political spin (laughs) from either side of the aisle doesn't matter (laughs) where your politics land but (laughs) yeah you know like you can just you can tell spin right yeah and this is all all this stuff is like written by people who have a dog in the fight when it comes Mm -hmm. to radio and so they're like Radio is still the dominant way to deliver content on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's true. I actually believe that. But we had the hardest time finding how much it's declined yeah. in the last 10 mm-hmm. years. Nobody wants to say that. But the radio stations are going under. I mean, CBS has sold, who started in radios, so CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Stage, I mean, they, they sold off all the radio assets in 2016 because they're not making money. Yeah. That's because the audiences are down. So you have to be careful who you're talking to when you're getting information on radio. But mm. I, I do think radios it's still really, really good for some artists. But, Brand, you always said it best. It's a second stage rocket. Yeah. But, yeah, the active radio listener is history. And, therefore, because there's just not enough people in each radio market listening to terrestrial radio, it is not delivering the market penetration that it used to and therefore number one isn't what it used to be worth Mm -hmm. so it it changes everything right Mm -hmm. so bob was going to say and playlisting he said that doesn't work either even if you get on the playlist unless someone saves the track spotify doesn't boost you it drops you and people skip instead of getting frustrated it just your perspective. We mentioned this. On um, playlisting for us, we do do playlist promotion is a strategic tool that we use if the budget is big enough, but I always inform my artists like it's like okay, raise your right hand and their teams, it's like understand this, you know Spotify's distribution. Spotify is not marketing. So Spotify mm. is where somebody's going to go to consume what you make. It's not why they're going there. That's going to be the marketing. And so getting on a playlist helps get uh, certain things in the pump primed for Spotify to get your popularity score up and certainly to provide a sense of accomplishment for the core audience that you do have. But you're not going to break from exposure on Spotify or on a playlist, but you can make Mm. money if you're on the right one. And there's a difference. And that feels weird to separate the two, right? Because usually When you break, you make money. But here you can make money and not break. Isn't that strange, right? So he goes on to say, just satiate the core, meaning your core audience. And the core always wants more. Stay in contact, deliver on a regular basis, and know who these people are. So stay in contact means like you're always putting up content. And deliver on a regular basis. Be consistent about your content and then know who these people are. So we are putting some of the final touches together on the very first, this is an experiment that I'm doing, Brent, you've heard me talk about it before. Let's just call it like a super fan or core audience incubator Mm -hmm. where through digital ads, I can identify who's actually been consuming and liking the content for my artists. Mm -hmm. So, And I know if they like it a little or if they like it a lot. So I'm not talking about people that leave a comment or that react positively to something because that stuff can be done by bots or even people who comment Mm -hmm. because that can also be done by a bot. But if they save it, if they share it, or if they're watching it 100% of the way through, we can be pretty sure that they're interested. Right, yeah. and that they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So knowing that we can target those specific people, so one, we've identified who is most likely to become a core audience for an artist, right? Right, because they're they're so actively trying to save it, share it, and watch it. And then knowing that I can target those pe- people specifically, those specific accounts with a message from an artist. Let's say, hey, this is Josh Roy. Man, I just, this is for you. I just wanted to give you a gift because I know that you either shared some of my content, saved some of my content, or watched it almost all the way through. If you click this link here, it's just a free download of a special track. Nobody else will have this track unless they've saved some of my content, shared some of my content, or watched it almost all the way through. That's the requirement. Mm-hmm. But you're the only, that's the only place you can get it is this way. And oh, hey, by the way, when you go to download it, it's absolutely free. No big deal. Just tell us where to send it, which means I get the email address. Right. If you want to, on the thank you page, after they download the track, I will have a pop-up that has a button to invite them to a private Facebook group mm. where I have to negotiate with my artists because they find this difficult and I think a little weird and foreign, but I want you to spend one hour a week on Facebook live and play some songs, take some requests, talk to these people. You know what I came up with yesterday, Brent was mm-hmm. we had Josh a while back do some interview content where, you know, I've talked about the artist branding questionnaire or yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is I said, to, I said, I was, I was telling Josh, I'm like, dude, like you should, when you do the live thing with these people, you should bring out that questionnaire and ask some of those people, those questions. Mm. Right. We've got his reactions and his answers to a bunch of these, It's like over 200 questions on there. But they're essentially getting to know you questions that can be revealing or interesting, provocative Mm -hmm. and also, I think, entertaining. But, man, if you just have a list of questions that you can just choose from as an artist when you're doing like one of these live private group things, how great would that be? be, like You're asking questions about them. Yeah. And when it's as small, like maybe and Josh had already been doing this to his credit. And so we're kind of reviving it. But we already had, I think, like, I don't know, there's got to be like 75 people in that group already now. Mm -hmm. It's a small group. It's not getting too big. But if you start asking them questions and you ask them by name when you're on a live thing, how cool is that? You know, I I just think that's nailing right what Les is saying here. Be in contact on a regular basis and know who they are. And once you get that core group set up, the the core group is what's necessary to break Mm -hmm. in some Whatever that means to you, okay. But I mean, to me, it just means that the artist is profitable. Yeah. And then there's different degrees of breaking, right? There's Taylor Swift all the way down to to Josh Roy, who makes a living touring right now, mm-hmm. but you know he's not driving Ferraris, right? Right. But he's on his way. So Leffsid says it's all about the data today, but the record labels are far behind. I'd fire most of the people there and hire data scientists. I'm thinking about stealing that name right there. Data scientists. I like that. Yeah. I'd I'd do that to find out exactly who is listening to the music, who is a fan, and then I would reach these people and incentivize them. Get them to meet the act. Send them swag. Mm -hmm. Right? So when you can identify, like, through digital ads, through even if you're not doing digital promotion, if you have... When you look at your comments, when you look at your reactions on the stuff you post organically, there's usual suspects.
0: Yeah, there are. In there, these are your core people. I mean, we we find the same thing in the climb community. Yeah. You know, the people that are listening, the wins, people that are commenting, it's a lot of the same names, mm-hmm. which is awesome, I and mean, we love seeing those names, and we feel like we know them more than we know, you know, there are hundreds of people in that group. I can name a handful Yeah, because they're the ones that interact. Exactly right.
1: Exactly right. And you know what? I mean, what a great way to make it feel for the artist who is a little uncomfortable with that because it feels a little foreign, or they feel mm-hmm. maybe it's sort of self-aggrandizing or it's pompous to like, why would these people want to come to a private group and listen to what I have to say? Right. Yeah. How about downloading that brand questionnaire and asking them? Because mm-hmm. I promise you, like, and this is like the a brand. You and I have met Garth Brooks a couple times. Yeah, and that is the one thing everybody always says about Garth Brooks. It's like, Oh my God, he just wanted to talk about me the whole time. Yeah. It's friggin' genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they walk away feeling so inflated. Yeah. And so happy that, wow, he was like interested in me. And you know what? I think maybe it's because he's a little uncomfortable answering all those questions with somebody he doesn't know.
0: It, it might be that it might be like, I know me and I'm sick of talking about me and that too. I'm sure. I want to know about you. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's a humble kind of way but it's also smart because most people's favorite subject is themselves and so it's kind of like you know the thing in the concert where garth or somebody else will take the camera from the person in the front row and take their picture yeah yep. not, like not even a selfie but like garth did this picture of me from the stage yeah i mean it's that thing of making them feel special and they're gonna feel more special if they're like he asked about me like when i met him yeah he was like you know, we talked about Arkansas and driving through Arkansas because he'd drive through Arkansas on the way to yes. Oklahoma and, and different stuff. And, yeah, always really nice. And, and, of course, every time we think talk about meeting Garth, I think of our friend Chelsea Stallings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now she was just, just – someone set her on vibrate mode afterwards. She was like, whoo
1: she, she just a, floated around the room for the rest did. of
0: the it was, day. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> because Garth asked about her. Right, Like yeah. He's like, no – doing like what's going on like you know like oh my god yeah and then listen this is human psychology there's nothing that we all like i don't care how modest you are there's nothing more than our inner soul and our subconscious likes more than the sound of our own voice yeah so people are asking us about us and we get to talk it is going to be a great experience and that is what you're selling here guys Mm -hmm. right so I've talked about this. Send them swag. Like we've done an article on the on the law of diffusion of technology and marketing. And where we say there's the pioneers, which is two and a half percent of the market, and the early adopters, which is 12.5% of the market, before it gets to the early majority, which is 38%. That's where the hockey stick happens. That's where critical mm. mass happens and you blow up to be as big as Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. And then the late majority is another 38%. And that's where the in the broadcast marketing world that's where the money is made Mm -hmm. right in the majority but the people in the late majority do not come into the market until after the people in the early majority who don't come in the market until after the the later early adopters have come in, and they don't come in until after the pioneers so when you understand this focusing on the core here makes so much sense because through this you are going to build that core audience and you're you're essentially putting together the pioneers and the early adopters of your brand to get to a version of that early majority to where you can make money. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: he goes on to say, don't do a promotion where if the fan gets another person to blank, mm-hmm. that paradigm is history. It's burned out over decades on the web. If you get a new customer we will give you a perk. I see that and I puke. He says, you're making me your sales agent? Mm-hmm. I love Clear, but I'm going to sell it to a friend so I get a bonus? Yeah. What if they find out? What if they'll feel ripped off? He's like, no, I must I must feel so good about Clear that I, that I tell people out of the goodness of my heart. Mm-hmm. And the goodness of my heart, because you want so bad for them to get the benefit that you're getting from whatever that product is. Yeah. Right. Because if they do it, they're going to love it. You know, they're going to love it. And then they're going to attach that to you. So it's going to make you cooler. So the goodness of my heart is one way of putting it. But also it's like, hey, it's like it feels good helping people, you know, and there's a dopamine hit from that. And so it's also the goodness of your of your ego, right? Mm -hmm. If a fan wants to make more money, they can be an influencer on social media. That's not what we're selling here. What we're selling here is belief. That's the essence of a musical career, which is why those without hits can oftentimes sell more tickets 10 years out than those with hits. If the hit makers can sell tickets whatsoever without belief, you've got nothing. And he's not saying that press is bad, but he said he wouldn't hunt for it. I wouldn't try to make it happen because it's usually one and done. Like go out and get a PR agent, especially for artists that are trying to break into a market and do marketing for the first time Mm -hmm. on their music. So maybe you're an artist and you've got six records out, but if you've always just done it organically and you're now deciding to, you know, to do some, some marketing some serious marketing this is another waste of money in the beginning yeah. okay it's not, i'm not saying pr agents are bad but in the beginning if you go hunting for it and paying for it you're even with the best pr agent in the world you have to be newsworthy for that pr agent to be able to talk one of their relationships in a magazine that's going to count for you yeah into giving precious real estate up for you who's not newsworthy yet
0: right well is it the difference between in another context of what you talked about a lot is the difference between exposure and market penetration so you go get the pr agent early you're going to get some exposure if they're doing their job at all but that's exposure yeah people die of exposure right that's like it's doesn't do you a whole lot of good but what lefsitz is talking about is you want to focus on market penetration for your pioneers and early adapters yeah early adopters right like you want to really serve them and penetrate that market where they just, it's more than just, I listened to that Josh Roy video all the way through one time and I liked it. Well, that was cool, but I'm kind of moving on. No, 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 Let's work on penetrating that market and make me famous to you and really have a connection there. So with that, right. Is that, would you say that lines up?
1: Like you're, you've just blown me up right now. Like I love how you just put that and you made me think, about something to springboard off that. Absolutely. Okay. So here, Les, is just talking about the belief, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to get people to believe who are already predisposed to liking your stuff because you know that they like it because you've mm-hmm. seen that they consume it on digital, the digital ad data breakdowns and you've seen that they've shared it or you've seen that they've saved it. Okay. And so let's we talk about market penetration which is in terms of like a radio market right or your local market more geographic Yes, geographic but what you know Mm -hmm. what has to happen to get market penetration is you have to get like mind penetration Mm -hmm. on enough people in that market right Mm -hmm. you have to be able to create enough people to believe in that market to get market penetration so If we talk about it that way and you focus on your core and you understand reach and frequency and you're going to keep repeating, you know, just putting new like I am pounding people with new content in the cities that Josh Roy tours in. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I want them to see him all the time, but with something new. And by the way, if you just heard, even as an artist who has a different appreciation for music than your average fan, because it's so much more personal to you, right? Mm-hmm. Even if a songwriter or whatever. But man, are you more likely to believe in an artist after you hear six songs from him, let's say ten different times each? Or are you more likely to begin to believe in an artist when you get to know them better, like by listening to interview content and how they wrote a song? And how they did this and how they did that on their journey. What happened when they recorded it and toured stories and stuff like that, where you start to get to know who they are. You know, I mean, Bruce Springsteen has this everyman blue collar thing that he's always emitted, and that is why his audience loves him. They relate to him mm-hmm. and it's not just about the music, it's about what he writes about, right? It's about yeah. who he
0: is that they like. So it's consistent. It's brand consistent. Who he is. Yeah. What he writes about. It's all because I'm assume it's all authentic.
1: Yeah, it's all authentic. And so when you're I think I, I run into sometimes roadblocks with artists. They feel uncomfortable in interviews because they just feel like if maybe they're not famous enough, nobody's going to care. But the story matters. And, and he goes on. to I'm going to break this down some more here because he, he really hits the notes on this one. He said, he said, usually it's one and done and, and people don't see it and they don't take action. He's, we're back to talking about getting a PR agent and being in a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or being on a, a TV show. He said like Scott Galloway and the New York Times. Did you see that full page article? It was flattering, especially as a result of its raw existence. But I've yet to talk to anybody who's seen it who doesn't know Galloway already. <laughs> Let I'm going to repeat that. I have yet to talk to anybody who's seen the full page article in the New York Times who doesn't know Scott Galloway already. Right? They turned right past it if they didn't know who the brand was. It wasn't interesting to them until they knew the brand. So
0: another reason. Probably a lot of people that saw it, but that didn't register that they saw it because they don't care yet about Scott Galloway. Or
1: well, they didn't read it. They didn't read the article
0: because they
1: didn't care yet. So again, PR, something to bring in after you get the train on the tracks mm-hmm. because it's going to be much, much more bang for the buck. He said the man got a full page in the physical newspaper. But most people read it online where everything but the headline story is equal and oftentimes ignored. So Galloway can feel good about his ink, but it's not really going to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Right. How many times have you heard me use the same example where I talk about like, the cover of Rolling Stone? Mm-hmm. Like, you get that? You can feel good about that. That's a bucket list thing for me. You'll be my hero forever. Hang that sucker on the wall. Yep. But you're not going to blow up because of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get a bump in streams. I'm sure you would, but for, it'd be for a week or two and then it'd be gone. Uh-huh. So then he says, and then there's that are playing the attention game. And I feel when he says the attention game, that artists, when confronted with the beginning of trying to market themselves and with the task of trying to create content, feel like they have to play the attention game. And we find that when artists were just seeking attention, we find that obnoxious. And we don't want to be perceived as that. We don't want to feel that way. And so that's yeah. where the resistance on marketing is. Right. Mm-hmm. But he said the tide has turned. Uh, his wife, Felicia's car got totaled, he says. And she needs to buy a new one. She just has one rule. No Tesla because of Elon Musk. She doesn't like how much attention Elon Musk. Ellen has. Is that his wife? Elon, sorry, Elon Musk. <laughs> and then he said Kanye has become a joke because if you're, you know, if you're always in the news cycle today, you're an object of derision. What's wrong with you that you need this much attention? Mm-hmm. And even worse when we see you ripping off your fans, making them buy multiple physical albums with different covers. Why? Sure the hardcore will do this. BTS fans will buy anything the band puts out, but the optics are terrible, even if it buys you a number one chart position for a week. And everybody in the business knows it's just about streams, and they can see how your music truly performs. Stars always debut strongly, but how long does that last? Does a track stick out? Stay in the Spotify top 50 or the top 10? But you'll get all the publicity for a billboard number one. But what exactly does it buy you? Network TV attention for a slot your audience will never see, <laughs> and as far as incentivizing the looky loos, the casual fans, to take action at this point, people don't even bother to stream a track. They're overloaded with input. They've done this too many times. They've streamed bad tracks. They're not interested in by Billboard number ones. As far as buying a ticket, have you checked the prices of tickets recently? No. Never mind the parking and the alcohol, and nobody's going to a show on a whim. And if you're interested in a show, there's a plethora, one that matches your interests. Why go to the show of the unknown? Wow. Let that sink in. Yeah. So you need buzz. And the buzz is created by your core. If you're going to blow up and sustain it, it will be because the core spread the word. And if you're truly great, it will spread like wildfire because active fans are searching for greatness 24-7. They're hungry for it, looking out for it. But there's very, very little that is great. Let me make it clear. If you play somebody your track and they don't immediately ask you to play it again, it's not good enough.
0: Period. (laughs)
1: Harsh truth. But there you have it. Good is not good enough. How many times have we said that on this podcast?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, a lot.
1: But let's say you're not that great. That's fine. Your fans will keep you alive. They'll give you all their money. A quirk of life is people are drawn to and bond most with that which is not very successful at first.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: They can own the act personally when it's that small. Mm -hmm. Getting in on the ground floor is like a badge of honor. And as long as you don't push for more attention soon, and as long as you don't ignore the base, your fans will stick by you. Back to that thing I'm doing with Josh, right? With that private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to let you know how this turns out. I don't know if it's going to work. But I feel like on paper, this looks like a good way to foster that relationship and to for him to engage and ignite that core.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, think about it. There's plenty of money in having hardcore fans. They go to the show, they buy the merch, and they're the only ones who can spread the word. Better to go out for a cheap ticket price than an overpriced one to pay for production. Because if the ticket is cheap, a fan can drive along a friend drag along a friend. People want to do this. There's such satisfaction in turning someone else onto great music. But if your tickets are expensive, this can't happen. Ignore the headlines. They don't reflect today's reality. First and foremost, a lot of those acts are nowhere near as big as the hype. Once again, the streaming numbers, readily accessible to all, tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Because streaming is the distribution. It's not the why. It's the where. Yeah. Right. So if you've got big streaming numbers, it means you're reaching your audience. Okay. And they're listening. Everybody's a journeyman woman today, a journeyman or journeywoman today. If you haven't heard from a friend about an act whose music you're unaware of an act without a hit, you don't have friends. I'll give you a few examples. You how many times people email me about Larkin Poe, even better the Avid brothers. Neither are household names, but they have very strong, relatively large fan bases. Their careers have not been built on the penumbra, right? The shadows, the outside peripheral It's not been built on the hype. It's been built on the essence, the music and the live performance. That's today's music business. Don't compromise your music. Don't make it like everybody else's because even if the track is catchy, you won't make any fans and you'll be starting almost at zero the next time around. You want something with edges, something that will hook people, essentially something that's as close to your truth. You guys as
0: possible. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Like one of the things I'm most proud of with, um, with Josh and with Mackenzie O'Brien is that, you know, we had one outside track with Josh. He's got Mm -hmm. this great, I think it's going to take, but all the other songs like are heavily co-written by him.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And now, Brent, you kind of came in on the second round of writing where he's a little bit more on his game. Yeah. A little bit more of a presence in the writing room. I think maybe than before, which is just a natural reaction people have when you're, you know, around hit songwriters. You're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah, you grow. You don't want to sound like an idiot. And then, you know, you start to work that. Uh, and Mackenzie, like she had a truth she wanted to tell the truth. We talked about what that truth was and we chose songs that were built around that truth. Very empowering. Mm-hmm. She came from a, her whole life. She felt she was in the backseat, like a doormat in all of her relationships. And she just woke up one day and said, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's what I want to write about. I said, okay, well, let's get you with the people that can do that. Mm-hmm. And Brent, you, you came through on that, but that's like, as she boiled it down to the essence of her truth yet, probably not. I think, mm-hmm. but this is the, closest thing she has to her truth right now and the next one she does will even be better yeah so that's what makes the edges that's what makes it real that's what makes it different that's what makes you stand out is you right
0: exactly
1: so this is the opposite he says of the mtv era where the goal was world domination hell there's a good chance you'll be successful and still be considered underground most people don't won't know either either you or your music. He said, but I'll tell you a dirty little secret. Most people haven't heard the hits or maybe the hit and nothing else from the album or by the act. It's a false construct. The old dominating act known by everybody. It's a false construct. Hell, there are acts people hate because they've seen their name too much. Irrelevant of the music, which they might not have ever heard. Mm -hmm. They just keep seeing them so they can't stand them, right? Right. And in a world of... Seemingly unlimited choice, we are not corralled into listening to the same stuff. There's no center whatsoever. There are just a zillion acts, some successful, and most of them are not. And to be successful, you must have a fan base. Do not try to jump the line or short-circuit the process, appealing to the muckety-mucks to have a hit single. Start at the bottom. Get regular people to like your music. And if they don't like it, start over. Mm -hmm. You're not entitled to a life as a successful musician what? no one is stopping you from making music but you want to be so if you want to be supported in your endeavor people must not only like it but want to be closer to it and get more of it think small
0: mm, i think that's interesting one thing it makes me think of is We've probably talked about the long tail before mm-hmm. or the bell curve. So you have the bell curve. You start off with, you know, very low numbers. People don't know who you are, or whatever. If you're fortunate that it gets thick in the middle where you have much more name recognition, hopefully hits all that stuff. Then it starts trailing off toward the end of your career. Then you have this long tail that kind of skirts low, but that's important. And it almost feels like what you're working on at the beginning are those same people. They're going to be that long tail. Those going to be the people that really believe in you and will stick around when you come around for your 20th anniversary tour where no one else knows your name. They get your name wrong on the marquee, but your people are going to show up. Yeah. And that's probably a lot of the people from the beginning. Yeah. And you'll be really glad to see those people. But know what it makes you of.
1: Yeah. I mean, taking this back to Seth Godin, right, who mm-hmm. we've quoted so many times on the podcast as a marketing guru, he says that marketing is summed up in seven eloquent words. People like us buy products like that. People mm-hmm. identify Products. And so he goes, in terms of the music industry, it would be people like us love artists like that. Right.
0: Yeah. And I ain't going to lie, by the way, I've used that quote and adapted it into a song and I got a cut. Did you really? I can't wait for y'all to hear it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear
1: it. I, you son of a gun, I need it to hear claps. that. It's good. But he talks about, you know, it's like the first. Three hundred or four hundred thousand Nirvana records were bought by people who are the hardcore fans who love Nirvana, mm-hmm. and then the other nine point six million were bought by people who want to identify with people who love Nirvana. Mm-hmm. So, I think, and well, let's go back to let's go back to the Seth Godin trough one more time. This is what Seth is telling people in the corporate world. Right. It's the eighty twenty rule, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you're broadcasting, let's say you're Procter and Gamble and you're doing broadcast ads for Tide. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're spraying and praying with a big huge brand, and twenty percent of your customers generate eighty percent of your revenue. Yeah. And eighty percent of your customers generate twenty percent of your revenue. It's called Pareto's law. Yeah, it's a very, very real thing that applies in so many different parts of life. Mm -hmm. But the point being, what he's saying is everybody like the big corporate broadcast world at the top with those big brand names, they're worried about losing market share on an audience. Right. So they don't want to stop advertising because that would shrink the 80 percent that looks really bad. Like, if you lose customer base by 80%, you're only losing 20% of your revenue. Right.
0: And so, what Seth Godin is saying is like, however, you're spending 80% of your marketing costs to reach 20% of the people or something.
1: So, and so expensive when you're trying to do it in a broadcast way with yeah. a PR agent for artists, with a radio promotion team for artists, like it's expensive and it's not that effective. And so he's, what he suggests is he, is it's permission marketing, right? He's like, I would want to know, like the hardcore Tide fans, mm-hmm. if Tide knew, like if Procter and Gamble knew who those people were and what they liked, if he just blew off the eighty percent. Of the customers that generate only 20% of the revenue, and focused on the 20% of the customers that generate 80% of the revenue, and really servicing them Mm -hmm. and communicating with them through email and building up a hardcore relationship and a love of the brand, they're going to be able to sell more stuff that way than through the spray and pray method, you Mm -hmm. know, because you're creating a relationship as opposed to this ethereal brand that you just see on TV. That's made in some, some cabal looking down on us all, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, right. (laughs) So anyway, so guys, that's it. Focus on the core. Think small. How can you take who you have right now in the core and how can you, Constantly engage them and constantly ignite that core and spend time with them. We you know when you do that through different video content. I think if you do it live once a week, you're going to be good. But this is how we're creating relationships in the corporate world, and it's how you need to be creating relationships with your business as an entrepreneur. You know, mm-hmm. so I encourage everybody to really focus on the small because the small that core when you turn those people into hardcore fans and then you start to implement sound marketing strategies to try to grow that core that's a lot different than trying to hit everywhere at once which is Mm -hmm. the way it's always been done yeah so i just thought that article spoke volumes man cool well once again as we were talking about the beginning of the podcast taylor swift proves that whoever owns the traffic rules the road okay and i want you guys to understand what this means in a lot of ways this today's episode bob left is sort of unpacking the way we used to think the way we think about broadcast marketing because it was effective back in the day when you had an active radio listener but those don't exist now not enough of them to turn your world around. So you have to think about how to create those relationships differently. And you have to understand the difference between a broadcast platform and a digital platform. And guess what? I got a really stout PDF for you. It's absolutely free. You'll go to giftfromjohnny.com. It's called Whoever Owns the Traffic Rules the Road. And it just will get your head right. To un- The more you understand how to honor the digital platform, the more you're going to ask the right questions. And when you ask the right questions, I promise you. Your subconscious is going to deliver the right answers and you're going to see the needle move. So get from johnny.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y, and just tell us where to send it. This podcast exists because we want you
0: to win, so keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top.